It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Peter Mollins, CMO at Knowledge Tree, which, according to their website, radically boosts the value sales teams deliver to prospects, which is, gosh, that's a great goal to have, Peter. So uh, welcome to Accelerate. I appreciate it. Yeah, really, really looking forward to the conversation. So take a minute, introduce yourself, and maybe give us a little bit about your background, how you ended up at uh, Knowledge Tree. Sure. So um, I've been in marketing since uh, back at Netscape. I interned with Netscape, and I think I was there. Uh, I interned over in Europe, and I was there. Uh, introduced every every conference session at their first uh, European conference, and uh, so they used my voice to to good effect. And then have been in marketing roles ever since, but principally marketing roles that focus on the sales side of things. I, I've always been a big fan of of marketing working. Very, very closely with sales. So um, had every role I've been in from you know, event marketing through product marketing through marketing strategy has always been focused on how we can um, use marketing resources in order to drive better quality um, uh, opportunities and then ultimately drive those through to, to close one deals and upsell. So I've um, uh, been with organizations like Borland, Microfocus, Relativity, and iMediation. So startups right through you know, um, uh, FTSE listed companies. So, sure. Got to see a good perspective. Yeah. So okay. Well, let's take a, let's use that perspective here. So you seem like, based on how you self-describe as marketing person, enthusiastic about sales, that you know, that could be a minority. Mm, I think you're right. <laughs> and so and so, um, yeah. How's how's that going to change? You know, one of the topics that's beat to death endlessly on on the show, as well as many <laughs> others, is is marketing sales alignment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, some companies are doing it better, right? And you know, certainly, you guys are a uh, you guys mean Knowledge Tree as a, a tool to help help that happen. Mm-hmm. But but really, what's the, what's the key to making that happen? I mean, it, it's certainly yeah. the benefit of everybody, <laughs> every well, company, if they can make that happen. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, I think it is is definitely a goal. I think a lot of people are are trying to do it right now. I think that every everyone is going to fail at it unless they do one thing, and that's um, tie marketing metrics back to sales metrics. And you know, so for me personally, sure, I have a, have a goal for the team around um, amount of meetings that are set, amount of inbound meetings that are set as well. Um, but that's not my primary goal. My primary goal is revenue. And if marketers aren't linking back to that, then they're going to be misdirected on so many different things. You're going to have that classic bias of trying to generate lots of leads and you know have events where you have 500 attendees and you're proud of that, but it, how much business did it drive? You're going to have the pride in having 10,000 followers on Twitter, but again, how much business did that drive? And so I think increasingly we're seeing companies as, you know, that, uh, that see the future in tying uh, marketing goals back to revenue, but until you do that, uh, it's it's almost impossible for marketing to to redirect itself. And is it just purely revenue, or are there also you know sales process metrics that are relevant to marketing? Well, I think there are, and I think where where that comes in is some of the opportunity dynamics. So, 
for instance, if you're uh, able to produce opportunities out of your leads and looking at the, the cost of customer acquisition across those opportunities that are generated, you're going to want to see that. The, the timing that it takes, so how long does it take before you know, an MQL or a meeting is a qualified meeting is turned into, into an opportunity. So definitely um, timing type metrics are important um, and you know, various stages in the funnel are important. Um, but to me, I still feel like those are entirely subservient to, to the revenue number. And the reason why I think that, that you can still tie it to revenue, some people will push back and say you can't because you know, so much of it is tied up in, in actual sales methodology, sales process. But even at larger organizations, and even in complex sales, marketing is helping throughout that entire process. I mean, there's the obvious things like, did you generate any leads for me? But even beyond that, building business cases, being able to um, ha- help salespeople to engage prospects as they're moving through through a process, helping to identify who are the 19 other um, shadow buyers within an organization that the salesperson maybe didn't know about or wasn't able to mine for, um, being able to identify signals about which are priority accounts and which are opportunities that may be, may be flailing because of you know, data that you're getting from marketing automation or from predictive analytics. So, you know, to me, I think there's this, this whole range of, of, of ways that marketing can influence and support sales, you know, that goes way beyond that simple handoff that I think we've seen in the past. Yeah, I mean, you, one thing you sort of alluded to, which is, you know, take MQLs, for instance, marketing qualified leads. I mean, if uh, conversion rates off of those things certainly talk about whether you're, A, either targeting the right people or sales has, the, as you said, the right information to be able to address and have conversations with those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's right. I, I, you know, I think that conversion rates are, are, are still important. I think that uh, you know, even if you do focus on revenue, if you're not looking at the dynamics of conversion rates, it's going to lead to more friction because you've got salespeople that are working um, meetings that aren't going to pan out and clearly they're going to get frustrated. They're going to go off on their own. I, you know, I think where we're, where we're seeing a lot of um, traction for um, marketers that care about sales and well, for that sales and marketing partnership is around you know, two things. And I think that one is identifying which are the people and which are the accounts that you want to focus on. And then secondly, what is it you say to them? So who to talk to and what to say to them? And I think that's where marketers that think about sales you know, ought to be focused. So who to focus on? Well, you know, we're seeing you know, predictive technologies like, say, you know, from Zoom or uh, Zoom Info or Inside View or Sixth Sense, Lattice, mm-hmm. uh, Radius. You know, these, these companies were you know, pushing out signals that identify who to focus on. And I think the logical next step is, all right, well, you're talking to a CIO at a financial services company. What's the message that's going to resonate best with them? And marketers have a ton of data about which content or which message, which, you know, which script even is going to resonate best because they're doing this at scale. They're sending emails, they're watching website visitors. And so they have a lot of data about, you know, what is going to be the message that's going to resonate with those, those people. And so combining those, those two elements, the who to talk to and then what to say to them is just, is, I think, the foundation of, of a great sales enablement program. So why are sales so skeptical of marketing assistance often in those dimensions, yeah. right? Because, yeah, you're, I'm sure, painfully aware, we've both seen it, is that, yeah, marketing delivers something that could be a great message and sales takes it and shifts at 90 degrees, and that's yeah. what they talk about. Well, I think you're right, and I think that that comes back to, um, you know, I think this, this switch that marketing has to take, which is 
realizing that the data that they need to have in order to you know, have a good conversation with sales and be really supportive of sales can't stop midway through the funnel. Um, they have to be getting data uh, later in the sales process. And so that's data about um, who and what are people do in these prospect accounts doing on the website, which content's working. And I think where, where we see the failure is, um, let me just take content for example. Like, members are producing a ton of content, and there's no doubt about that. I mean, the content marketing wave has been, you know, been here for, for many years. Um, but when you think of the kinds of content that uh, marketing teams too often focus on, it's, you know, things that are maybe a blog post or an infographic, which are fantastic for top of funnel. But for bottom of funnel, you know, I think that's where a lot of the skepticism comes in. It's like, I, I love your infographic. It's really, really um, adorable. But, you know, to be honest, I'm selling to Boeing and I've got 50 people on a decision committee and that infographic's not going to help me. I need something that's going to build a business case. So the skepticism is healthy and it's totally justified. But the, to solve that problem, marketing needs to pay more attention to what is actually happening in a buyer's journey in the middle and bottom of the funnel. Well, and I think oftentimes the issue with salespeople is that they don't even think about marketing mm. beyond the top of the funnel, right? You know, right. Once, once they're out working the deal and maybe they've hit a, a, uh, an obstacle that they need to address, when they start thinking about the resources they need to help them solve that, marketing's oftentimes not at the top of the list. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, I, I, the the good news is that there is this generation of marketers that's coming in, or generation. I mean, there's 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 people that are thinking heavily about this, and it comes from all generations. But people that are thinking about um, sales is the ultimate goal, and so I think that um, increasingly sales can rely on it. But it does depend on marketers to be foresighted about that and to want to be on sales calls and to you know, want to understand truly what happened to their leads and why the lead went dead. It's not just, you know, the lead status gets switched over to disqualified. Why was it disqualified? Or, you know, the sales salesperson didn't share a particular piece of content with a, with a prospect. Well, why? Was it, was it not the right content? Was it, you know, ineffective in previous usages? You know, unless a marketer is willing to, to dive in and get at the coalface, I can understand why a salesperson wouldn't come knocking on a, on a marketer's door first. Yeah, so this trend toward account-based marketing, account-based selling really is meant, I think, in many respects, say, hey, this is, you know, it takes a village, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to borrow the, the phrase from politics. Yeah, and, well, that's right. And that it's not, it's not territorial, it's team. Right, that's right. Yeah, I think you're right because um, and you know because even within within those accounts, there's going to be different um, roles of of people within the buying you know in the buying process. Some of those people, the sales sales team may never speak to, but they're influencers. They're they're the they have the necessary head nod, and um, you know marketing plays a role there too. And that could be marketing automation that's you know giving them uh, giving those 19 other people insights or, um, you know, warm and fuzzies that the vendor that uh, the champion is going to choose is actually the right person. Yeah, well, you, got, you have two interesting things you talk about in your literature, which is, one, I thought this research uh, report you quote from Four Quadrants saying that the, there are 20 people that need to nod mm-hmm. their heads uh, for mm-hmm. a standard B2B deal, and, you know, everybody's feeling with challenger customer and so on, talking about 5.4 decision makers <laughs> or stakeholders. Right. Um, that's that's a that's that's a big step up. So 
what do you think is the difference between their research and what that really means for sellers? Yeah, I think I think actually that that is you know it is actually very interesting because the five point four I believe is um, people that actually have to say yes, whereas the twenty that uh, four quadrants was citing are people that may may have an influence but um, aren't necessarily on a, a buying committee. Um, they may be let's say someone in IT. They could be someone in. HR or finance that has a parallel responsibility or has some kind of influence. And I think that's where marketing can especially shine because, um, because you, the, it's part of a sales engagement. These, these may be people that you haven't identified, don't know who they are. Um, the, in, in fact, your champion may not even know that they're having the shadow influence until later in the sales process when they're trying to you know, get budget allocated or budget approved or the contracting done. And so I think the difference between that 5.4 and the, and the 20 is actually really revealing. Um, and, and so mar- how marketing plays a role there, well, it's twofold. It's identifying who those people are through predictive and through, um, you know, through marketing automation and through, um, you know, for lack of a better word, list generation type activities and, um, that are rolled up under an ABM umbrella. But then secondly, through messaging. And so that messaging may be providing salespeople with content to share or messaging to share. Um, and then also just marketing automation out to these people within the organization that um, a salesperson may not have the time or the ability to reach out to. Yeah, well, I think that another way I'd sort of have people look at it is that there are 5.4 people that need to say yes, but there are 20 people who can say no. Mm, I like that. I like and that. And that's the thing that salespeople don't really recognize that can really be the killer is that there's somebody out there that, yeah, they're not the decision maker. They can't say yes to go ahead Mm -hmm. with it. But if they say no, you're screwed. That's right. That's exactly right. And, uh, and so then I think where it comes, comes back to then is, is a business case. You know, are you equipping your, the 5.4 folks to build a business case so that, um, when one of those other twenties, you know, starts shaking their head, um, that you have numbers and you have um, opinion and you have examples of success where you can, you know, you can, you and your champion can overcome those problems. So let's talk really pragmatically about how that marketing sales collaboration works. Because uh, you know, I've talked to some guests on the show where you know there are weekly meetings, you know, mm-hmm. where marketing comes to the with the weekly sales meeting, and you know, part of the time is allocated to marketing talking about okay, what does what does sales need, right? So we're not going off saying, yeah, this is a neat piece of content to create, but they're only creating in, in response to what the need is. Uh, what other best practices have you seen in that regard for people listening that they can say, okay, this is what we need to do in our company? Yeah, so I think, um, so getting on a sales sales call with the sales team and kind of getting soliciting feedback, I think is absolutely, a, it's a great thing to do. I think getting into sales calls, so demonstrations, um, you know, early discovery calls, having the marketing team just by as as a as a good practice, just being involved in those, I think is really important because if they're not actually hearing the real uh, you know feedback directly from customers and prospects, it's going to be a major gap in their understanding. So the benefit the benefit to sales, the way you sell that to sales is. Is how because you know they're always leery about <laughs> bringing yeah. someone else along that's just sitting there not saying anything. 
well, that's right. I think you you, you do a fly on the wall type approach, um, and, and obviously not on every every sales call, but you know certainly ones where it's it's around business case development or trying to you know pitch the business problem. I think that's a that's a good area to or good uh, good type of call to join. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then then I think there's less awkwardness because you know now it's. Um, you know, marketing becomes a partner, especially product marketers, where they they you know are focused on you know what is the solution that's being offered and how what's the tie back to value. I think that that's essential. And, um, and it's important for salespeople that that the reason I the one of the ways I would sell it to them is if the studies are right that's showing that salespeople are spending up to thirty percent of their time recreating marketing content to repurpose it for sales purposes. Well, then why do you want to spend that time doing that? Well, you know, you're, so so much better to have the marketing person there to see what you're doing. You know, don't get so f- territorial about the person being involved in your calls. They're there to help you. Well, that's exactly right. You know, I think there were, there was some forcer data about you know the the um, uh, where sa- where sales um, as an industry is going or sales as a profession is going, and it, you know increasingly moving toward that higher value approach where you know increasingly it's a salesperson that's able to offer advice, help build business cases, and the like. And, um, and so in order to do that, um, does require that you, you know, have materials, have content that you, you can, um, you can offer up, um, advice and guidance and, you know, uh, industry learnings and those kind of higher value activities. And so you want to, if there's, if there's resources out there that you can have marketing as your, you know, content creation team or as your research team, that's, you know, helping you to, to get that. I think salespeople need to take advantage of that, and and you'll you you know finding that the, there are these proactive marketers that are increasingly wanting to play that role. It's you know any any moment you can get back into course selling, uh, you should take, and this is a great opportunity to do that. Yeah, and I and I think another thing that salespeople really need to keep in mind is that there's this mismatch between their sense of how much value they're providing versus the customer's perception. I mean, you there's data from Forrester that talks about, and I think you have this on your website, that just one out of five salespeople adds value to the sales conversations. Mm-hmm. I mean, Altify just did a, a study that they released about this that's saying there's a huge mismatch between the customer's perception of the value sales is providing versus what they actually are. Mm-hmm. So it's really time for sales, and I say this as you know, lifelong sales salesperson and sales mm-hmm. manager, is to be open to help. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to do it all yourself. You know, it's all about just it's about winning. It's not about you. It's about getting the order from the customer. And it's not about the personal credit for you. It's about how can we make this happen to help the customer make a good decision. Well, that's right. I, and I think um, you know, I think the point there about the value is is especially apt because you know, I think the when you are able to provide value, it does two two big two big things, I think. One, first off, it's obvious it's going to build a business case so that you know, for changing the status quo or for going with you as a vendor, it's going to be more likely. But then the second thing is, is more emotional, I guess you could say, which is you just helped that champion to look good in their organization. Because now if you're providing value, then, well, they're providing value back to the 20 or the 5.4 people in the organization that they're having a conversation with. And so, um, so it's not only about the business case, but also about making your champion look great. And so, the more value you can provide them, you know, it doesn't mean hit them with a tidal wave. It does mean you know distilling it and um, you know a curated approach, curated approach to, to to what that content looks like. But if you're giving them materials that are known to be successful for their sales situation or for or where they are in the buyer's journey, 
they're going to be, they're going to appreciate that and they're going to want to work with, with, uh, with someone like you. Yeah. Well, and I think that it's the only way, the only way sales will start, stop being skeptical about marketing content is, you know, feeling like they had an input into its creation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really a step that companies really need to focus on. We talk about the marketing sales alignment. It could, it can start very simply, like I said, just having that weekly conversation about what do we need. It's you know they're your internal customer. I know people don't like that phrase these days as much, but you know they are your internal customer. And then you get away from that scenario where where you talk about where you know eighty percent of marketing content is never used by sales. Right. That's right. Yeah, and I think that that um, that you can as a as a marketer that wants to care more about sales, wants to do more for sales, you can take you can take both a qualitative and a quantitative approach. You know, from a qualitative perspective, definitely getting in those sales calls, hearing what prospects say, definitely getting in front of the sales team and hearing what they're wanting or liking or you know need changed. And and then, but then also from a quantitative perspective, I think marketer. You know, one of the things that's been so fascinating to see about both sales and marketing over the last few years is that move towards more of a scientific approach that buttresses the the art of selling and marketing. And so we see that most clearly, I think, in the top of funnel, where you know, marketing automation and predictive being able to identify which email to send or which content to serve up on a website or right. which. You know, product which fries to sell with which burger, let's say, and um, uh, I think that where we're moving now is towards bringing that quantitative increasingly in the bottom of the funnel, um, and so you get that with um, opportunity identification and prioritization, um, and you're also getting that with with content in the bottom of the funnel too. So, well, yeah, you, I mean, you talk about that in your your white paper, the what content to build for sales. I mean, you mm-hmm. have a, a great statistic in there that I thought was fascinating was. Um, that prospects are 200% more likely to download content later in the sales process. Mm-hmm. Now that, I mean, that just seems completely counterintuitive, right? I mean, for everything you hear, that, that, that I found very stunning. And also that it was data sheets that was the number one most downloaded piece of content, <laughs> which, you know, again, seems like a top of funnel type thing, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. I was, I was really blown away by some of the results, too. Basically, the methodology for, for that was... We have lots and lots of customers sharing lots and lots of content, so we just decided to anonymously roll up, well, which kinds of content are working best? And by working best, I mean that prospects are viewing and downloading the content. So which content is working best in different sales situations and which content types are doing the best? So I, I would have assumed that you know, something like an implementation guide, let's say, would do really, really well bottom of funnel and do really, really poorly top of funnel. But it was exactly the opposite. Right. And so we dug into it. Well, why is it that case? Well, it turns out it's because a lot of buyers, they, they, um, they're not necessarily in the market for your product. They see the value, but they're scared to make a change because of the effort required. So if you're able to send an implementation guide that says, look, my the effort level is low and you can get up and run in X days, well, that changes the conversation because now me as a buyer, I can make a quick win and you know, uh, look like a star and get something done fast. So you know, it's, it's funny how those counterintuitive things do, do kick in. Well, Same with, yeah, with the data sheets, that's the thing that really got me because I was trying to think, gosh, okay, why, why would senior managers involved in a buying process be downloading data sheets later in the buying process? Yeah. The only thing I could think of is, is <laughs> this, is a, this is definitely sales skepticism here, is 
you know, they didn't look at the proposal, so they wanted to be able to have armed with some facts they could talk about about the product I, to sound I, educated before they made a decision. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that that's the same reason why why case studies are the same way, where case studies are very successful bottom of funnel. It's because you know people want validation towards the end that they're not about to make a bad decision, and they want to know, well, what is it they're actually buying? Well, so, they, also, they also don't want to get into the real detail. They assume everybody that worked below that uh, surfacing the recommendation did the detailed yeah. you know, evaluation, but they that's, want some facts and figures they can hold on to. Now, that may sound too skeptical, but I, I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, Andy. I think you're absolutely right. All right. Well, we're going to move into the last segment of our show where I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And Peter, are you ready? I'm all set. Okay. So, first one is, and if you've listened to episodes of the show, you might have heard this question before, is you've just been hired as a new sales leader at a company whose sales have stalled out. And... The CEO and the board were anxious things to start turning around pretty quickly. So what two things could you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Yeah, I think I would look at stalled deals initially. Um, you know, these are things that are already in play. Um, you know, and I would un- try to, I would get all of my sales team together, understand what's going on with all of my stalled deals and see how we could push them forward. The second thing is going back to existing customers, always the easiest place to, to, um, to work with. And so if you're able to go back to existing customers with new products or related products for upsell, um, you know, great place, great place to go to. I think when, when you're talking with the board, long-term fixes, obviously you need to have a strategy and approach there. And that's going to be things like team, or that's going to be um, go to market, or that's going to be just product fit and gen- product market fit in general. But on a short-term basis, you've got to work with the material that's already advancing right now. That means existing customers, and that means opportunities that have, that have have stalled out. So that's where I would start. Okay, great answer. So here's some rapid-fire questions. You can give me one-word answers or elaborate if you wish. So when you personally, Peter, are out selling, what's your most powerful sales attribute? It's uh, it's going to be market knowledge. Um, people are looking to build a business case. They're mm-hmm. looking to understand why they need to move now. And if you're coming at them with just product knowledge, if you're just selling your product as opposed to why you need to change, you're not going to move the needle. But if you're able to come in with expertise around you know, why other people have made a change and how they've been successful, that's going to, that's going to, be, that's going to be the most effective thing that you're going to do. Okay. So um, who's your sales role model? Uh, my sales role model is my father, and the um, reason why is because he had a fantastic style that was very personable um, and very modest, but at the same time, he knew everything about the industry he was in. He, so he was in uh, uh, clothing manufacturing, mm-hmm. uh, and he knew up and down what, uh, uh, you know, how that industry worked. And then when he moved into more of like a business consulting role, he had just this broad range of experience that he was always able to, to apply words of wisdom. I think that's probably where I got that, that focus on market expertise from was from him. Yeah, yeah. No, he sounds like my type of guy, actually. Yeah. Um, so one book, doesn't have to be a sales book, but one book every salesperson should read. Oh, that's a, that's a great one. Um, so I, I think that I, I hate to be kind of uh, boring on this one, but uh, C, the CEB, I'm, I'm sorry to say, it has been, has been a fantastic resource for me. So I, I would definitely recommend, uh, recommend those. Um, I cha- think that, challenge, challenger books for people. So the challenger books, yeah. sorry, yeah. Um, so the challenger books have been exceptional. I really enjoy those. 
Um, the other thing that I, I think I'd recommend is uh, maybe uh, if you don't mind me spinning the question a little no, go bit, ahead. go ahead. Is is actually blogs? Um, you know, I find that that I get just a ton of of, of insights from a lot of the great bloggers that are out there that are writing on sales and marketing, and I love to to stay in touch with uh, stay in touch with with what they're saying. Um, and so I, I would really recommend, although books can be great, the, the little, the little micro lessons and tips and tricks that you get from some of the, uh, sales experts and, you know, thinking about folks like Trish Bertuzzi and, uh, Nancy Narden and, and, you know, yourself through your, through your podcasts and others. I mean, I think that that's, that's where I really like to focus is, uh, um, cause you can digest those quickly and on, you know, yep. on your drive in or wherever. So exactly, exactly. No, those are good suggestions too. Though, both those. Um, okay, last question: What what music's on your playlist these days? Ah, uh, well, so there's there's two camps. So now that's now that school is out, there's yeah. a different set. <laughs> you so, no longer have control of the, <laughs> the music in the car. That's right. So I, I do drive my kids into school. So um, so typically in the morning, it is um, primarily focused on. Uh, Taylor Swift and um, let's see, I think his name is Charlie Charlie Pluth, if I recall correctly. Um, but now that I'm on my own, it tends to be uh, news and podcasts. And if you were a just outside of the world of sales and marketing podcasts, big believer in um, uh, in our time podcast from BBC. Highly recommended if you care about everything from science through literature. It's a great podcast. Oh, in our time. Okay, I haven't yeah. haven't heard that one. I mean, I'm a huge Radio Lab fan, so that's uh, oh yeah. Always something I try to catch up on. So, well, good. Well, Peter, thanks for joining me. It's been a pleasure. And and tell folks how they can find out more about you and Knowledge Tree. Absolutely. Yeah. Please do visit uh, knowledgetree.com, and that's where uh, you can find our very very active blog, as well as other resources, including some of the research that uh, that you'd mentioned about which content uh, marketing teams should build for for sales organizations. Yeah. The the white paper in particular, the research report that uh, mm-hmm. referenced uh, before, what content to build for sales. I thought that was uh, really useful. Great. I'm glad it was. Yeah, yeah. People should go there and download it. So, thanks again. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine. Listen on your commute, like Peter does, in the gym, or make it part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Peter Mullins, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So, thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.